Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel. <laughs> We're going to start in verse 1 of 1 Samuel. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then we come to the Sams. 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, <clears throat> 1984, I went on a job interview, and uh, it was at an investment firm. And I really kind of needed the job, and uh, <clears throat> but I had the flu, and I felt just horrible. I had had the flu for a number of days, and I mean, I was just, I, it was Sunday night. I knew the interview was Monday morning, and I was just ashen. I was pasty, and I looked horrible. I felt terrible. It was just awful. And so, I had this old rickety old sun lamp from a garage sale or something, and it, you know, it was like about this big. And I thought, well, I got to get some, I got to get some sun on my face, uh, so I looked living. And uh, so I put on these goggles, you know, and it had, the, had a rubber strap. And uh, I thought, well, I'll do this side of my face for, you know, five minutes, and I'll do this side of my face for five minutes, and hopefully that'll kind of breathe a little life into me, appearance-wise. Uh, but I didn't have to worry because the, the uh, thing had a timer on it. All right, so I set the timer, and uh, I did this side, and I kind of I felt myself dozing off to sleep, and I thought, oh, it's got the safety timer on there, you know? Uh, and uh, so I woke up, you know, I went, Ugh. about 40 minutes later, <laughs> I went, oh my goodness. And uh, so uh, I did not do the other side of the face because I was so uh, sunburned and I went straight to bed. And so I woke up in the morning and I had this kind of half, I was half red and I, and I had this raccoon thing on one side. <laughs> that was pretty bad. And so here I am off to my interview. And so... Uh, and I put on my best suit, and I, I get out there, and I, I get in the car, and uh, started up, and I, I, I had, had a little five-speed, and I was, I was just pulling out of the, the parking lot going, what is that smell? And I looked down, and uh, apparently I had spe stepped in a big pile of dog poop, because the, the clutch and the rug, and just, I'll tell you, it was awful. It was awful. It was just one succession of bad, 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 bad after another. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. I got the job, by the way. Um, who's in the investment business in here? It was Duncan Williams. If that tells you anything, they were glad to have me. But uh, anyway, I, I wonder if David didn't feel a little like that. Uh, you know, here you have a guy uh, that uh, is plucked from the fields. He's the ruddy uh, son of Jesse, and he is uh, made to be the Lord's anointed. And uh, with that carries many great privileges and benefits, like uh, the current king chucking spears at him. And uh, then uh, the current king chucks some another spear at him. And then the current king decides he wants to take an army and go chase him down and kill him. And uh, David goes on the run, and you know the story where David is in the cave, and Saul comes in there and, uh, you know, does his business, and David cuts off the corner of the robe and says, hey, look at this, you know, and, and uh, Saul uh, kind of has this, uh, we think, repentance not really thing happening, and, and they, it's all patched up, and then Saul says, hmm, I think I want to kill David again. So he chases him with an army, and, and here's poor David, and so he retreats into the land of the enemies, all right? When, when David and his men, it's at the beginning of our text, they, they're heading for Ziklag, They've just left the bad guys, the Philistines, with whom David found some favor. King Achish over there uh, had received him for a while, but now he's kicked him out. And so David's been kicked out, and so he's, he's had just one occurrence after another after another of hardship, has he not? Well then, he and his men are on this long journey, probably 60 miles, this multi-day journey, and they're making their way, they're going home. And they're thinking about baked potatoes and steak and a bathtub and kissing their wife and hugging their children and sitting in their favorite lazy boy and, and all that. They get to Ziklag, what do they see? Ruins. It's all burned, smoldering, everything they ever treasured is gone, and their wives and children are taken. That's one bad thing after another. And you see how, uh, how distraught these people are. Well, as we read this passage, you see that we have the reader's advantage. You know, we, uh, we open up, we turn to 1 Samuel 30, and we look at verses 1 and 2, and we say, okay, yes, uh, we, we know what's happened. In verses 1 and 2, uh, this is what the bad guys did. It's not till verse 3 that David and his men pop into Ziklag, okay? And so it's very easy just to kind of go, oh, yes, they marched into town, and the city was in ruins, and then they went out. But think about it, this long journey, longing to get home. They see it on the horizon. They come into town, they see smoke. And they say, well, wait a second, where's the town? Wait a second, it's leveled, it's been raised. I smell smoke. And they come and they see that their loved ones are stolen away. How horrible a scene that must have been. Now, we look at um, the end of verse 2, and it says, uh, uh, the uh, Amalekites killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Don't be comforted by that, my friends. Uh, what can angry Amalekites do to women, sell them, or worse, I mean, this is a bad, bad scene. And for David, the thing takes one more plummet. You know where it is? It's in uh, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Now, how can you get more rock bottom than that. <laughs> I mean, on top of his great loss, the guys want to kill him now too. Well, I think, ladies and gentlemen, this gives us a very realistic and sober description of what can take place in the Christian life. 
Um, aren't there times when you think it just can't get worse than this? Have you had times like that in your life where you just say, it, can, it cannot get worse than this? You know what 1 Sam 30 teaches? Yes, it can. <laughs> you encouraged by that? How about um, Psalm 30, verse 5? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 1 Sam 30 says, oh yeah, that's true. But, disaster might come in the afternoon. That's a sobering lesson. And I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, who would invent a God like that? Who would invent a story like that to be included in a book like this? And if we were to sit down and invent God, if you ever question the authenticity of Scripture, if you were to sit down and invent God, you'd, you'd you know, invent some uh, candy-coated uh, Skittle that uh, just gave everything you wanted, and he just did this. And, I mean, it was just easy coasting all along. Who would invent this? Something as, as, as devastating as this. You can depend on uh, a, a God who spells it out so frankly, I think. You can trust a God who will lay it out as, as, as clearly as this. You can trust a Savior who says, in this world, who promises, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know, that's a God who will lay it all out for you. That's a God who can be trusted, I think. You know, there have been a number of times in my life where I have really, really thought, so, you know, I took a look around. This, this is rock bottom. I'm here. I've always wondered what it was like down here. And now I'm here. You know, and then uh, four months go by and, you, and you're going, boy, that looks good. <laughs> so this is rock bottom. Wow, I've never, have you ever experienced that? <laughs> uh, I once wrote a song one time. It was kind of a, you know, melancholic song, but I, I had a line in it. I was really kind of depressed and uh, uh, I said, uh, uh, I've seen rock bottom so many times, it's become a familiar place. <laughs> kind of a sad song. It's our song. No, it's not. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, haven't, I'm only kidding, certainly. Uh, haven't you felt that way, ladies and gentlemen? Well, David finds himself at what he believes is rock bottom, and he is under severe pressure, and all of a sudden the guys want to stone him too. And this is precisely the point at which we come across this critical statement. And it is the statement of uh, the passage, I think, and it's the, the point that I would like to uh, uh, help deposit in your uh, heart and mind tonight. It is, in the end of verse 6. But David found his strength in the Lord his God. Now, the question is, what does that mean? I mean, how many times has somebody slapped you on the back and said, cheer up, you trust Jesus, you know, find your strength in the Lord. You know, that can, that can become, a, a, I hate to say it, a, a trite statement in our hearts and minds. In fact, it can even become a resented statement by many uh, well-meaning people. Yeah, just find your strength in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, here's what I don't think it means. It doesn't mean some kind of... Uh, you know, mystical, uh, esoteric experience uh, where some kind of uh, cloud comes over you and, and all of a sudden you feel a little bit better. I mean, God is not, uh, 
you know, a, a tube of Flexol that you squirt on your spiritual arthritis, you know? Uh, I don't think it's just some kind of little, you know, bomb and I've found my strength in the Lord, let's get on with life. Nor do I think it is just some kind of emotional experience. You know, where, where we have a good cry and we let it all go. And uh, we kind of just, well, it's, uh, it's not, you want an emotional experience. <laughs> Look at these guys. In verse 4, David and his men weep aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Now that's an emotional experience. That does not equal finding one's strength in the Lord. Well, the starting point, I think, from, from which we are strengthened, the starting point when we're, in, when we're in the most dire straits, when things are looking bleak, when we come across trouble in our lives, in our experiences, uh, in, our, in our communities, and so on, the, the place at which, the, the hinge at which we get past what is so distressful and, and so uh, significant and complex in our lives is in, at the end of verse uh, 6. But David found his strength in the Lord his God. You know, it's easy to go, yeah, David found his strength in the Lord is God. David found his strength in the Lord his God. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> you know, in statements like that, you have the gospel message laid out. You have the covenantal God speaking to you. I will be their God. They will be my people. You know, and we his people can look at him and say, you are my God, my Father. That is the hinge, ladies and gentlemen. Because uh, it brings us into the understanding that we have a personal God. You know, he's not just dwelling off afar and kind of looking down and, well, yes, I care about you, but I can't really control the election results uh, and all that. He is intimately connected with his children. He is a personal God. Why, do, why is that so significant? Why do we need a Savior? Why, you know, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. You've heard that a million times. Why is that so important? Because God is judging us for our personal sin. And he pours out his personal wrath on personal sin. He sends a personal Savior that we receive personally so our sins can personally be forgiven and He can receive us and be a personal God. David found that we in Christ can find strength in the person of the living God. That God is not some arbitrary figure out there, but He hears the prayers of His people. He numbers the hairs on their head. He's intimately connected with our situations. You know all the wrangling that goes on in our hearts and, and all the, the, the factors that we, that we consider and, and, and wrestle over. He knows those. He knows a, a thought before it rolls off our lips. He knows the skeletons in our closets better than we do. In fact, he knows countless skeletons that we've never even seen. So intimate is this personal God. And so David strengthens himself in the Lord his God. He can no longer say, he's looking at smoldering ruins, he's smelling the devastation. He can no longer say, my house, 
He can no longer say, my family, my possessions. He can't even say, my army, because they want to kill him. And he can't say, my good name, my reputation. He doesn't have anything. Everything's stripped away. But, what can he say? My God. I, I, I promise you it's that way for you and me. You know, I, I, I can do a pretty good tap dance through life. And I can kind of, you know, see things coming at me and I, I kind of handle them and juggle them. I kind of like it too, you know? I like kind of juggling uh, complexities and kind of just making it. I like that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, things, things get stripped away from you, don't they? And all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness. All I've got is my God. And I'll tell you, now that's a place the Lord likes to have you. Not always comfortable to get there, but it's where He likes to have you. You know, um, I don't know if it bothers you, but every sitcom out there, just about, has some little, you know, 16-year-old with a talking cat. Uh, and they say every five minutes, oh my God. And you walk through uh, Dillard's and people say, oh my God. Oh really? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh my God. My God. I'm telling you, that is nails on a chalkboard to me. I don't know about you. In fact, I know a lot of Christians throw that around. They don't even think about it. But I'm telling you, if you do that, stop it. Because God does not like it. It is a misuse of His name. In fact, you could point to the commandments. For the believer. Oh my God are the most precious words we can say. They, they point us right back to the covenant he made. I will be their God. They will be my people. It should really, really bother you when people throw around the term, Oh my God. It's a precious thing to us. And in our darkest moment, when we're all alone in our prayer closet and when the pain is at its its most acute point. All we got is, oh my God. <laughs> we ought to treasure those things. We ought to remember that that's the first place to go when we want to be strengthened. How then do you strengthen yourself in God? We look at the passage here. David found strength in the Lord his God. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you that that, that verse implies within the context of Scripture, uh, a remembering of the promises of God and the affirmations of His Word. I'm going to suggest to you that, but David found strength in his Lord, has contained in it promises that pertain to you and me and David and affirmations of the character of God. Now, uh, you might be saying, well, that's a good point. Uh, it's, a, probably, it's a biblical point, but what's, I don't see it in that. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would applaud your cautiousness. But if you would flip back just uh, a few chapters to, to chapter 23 and go to verse 16. I, I don't want to import my own meaning in the text, but I think David has probably ringing in his ears this situation. Verse 16 of chapter 23. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. All right. 
What did Jonathan talk about? Verse 17. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will, you will be king over Israel. And I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. What's Jonathan talking about? God's promise. David will be king. Saul and his line, Jonathan, his son, will be second to David. And so Jonathan basically says, hey, find your strength in God. Here's how. Remember the promises. I think that's what we ought to be doing. I think that's what probably David was doing when his men wanted to stone him and he finds strength in the Lord as God. It's, it's the, the spiritual place you come to. And I'm not saying I'm there. Uh, in fact, I don't always do a good job of this. Uh, very convicting to me, all this is. But we need to come to the place where we can say, Wait a second, Lord, you promised. You're good on your promises. Lord, I've seen the way you operate in the past. I've seen your deliverance in the past. You have operated thus and surely... If you were able to do that, surely you're able to do this. If you delivered me there, surely you'll deliver me here. But if you made a promise here, surely by the backing of your character, you'll be good to it here. That's the point that we ought to come to. When, when trouble really kicks in, a, a spiritually mature person says, wait a second, you know, emotions shut up. You know, all these complicating factors shut up. The hinge, the first place we ought to go to is say, wait a second, my God, Yahweh, reigns. He makes promises. He's good on those promises. They're backed by his characters. And surely that ought to give me the perspective. It does not, uh, it does not negate the reality of your pain. <laughs> but it sure does dangle some hope out there for you, doesn't it? You know, folks, um, my words, um, sometimes they fall to the ground. You know, I say, I'm going to do this, uh, and then I don't do it. And, uh, you know, I've really committed to do such and such a thing, and then I've, I've, they fall to the ground. And uh, you think of your life, and you think of uh, loved ones, and business acquaintances, and people around you, and how many words have you heard that have fallen to the ground? How many words have you said, you like me, how many words have you said that have fallen to the ground? Guess what? God's words do not fall to the ground. Turn, if you would, to 1 John. Almost to the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 9. I know this is a verse that so many of you have seen many times, but consider this for a second. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Is that a promise? That is a promise. And we can believe that. 
I've spoken to so many Christians that have this internal battle. I mean, really people that uh, are in the kingdom uh, and yet have this, this internal battle. I mean, I think we all experience it from time to time. We say, yes, I understand God's grace. I understand Christ's sufficiency. I really do. But I did such a putrid thing last week. I don't know how. I don't know how I could be forgiven for that. Or we commit a sin and we find ourselves going, I'm just, I'm so sick of saying I'm sorry for the same things. And, and we withhold our coming into his presence because we go, I'm just so sick of it. I'm sick of coming to him. Doesn't he, doesn't he tire of hearing me say these things? Do you have that battle? Or how about this battle? I understand Christ out on the cross. I understand he shed all his blood. I understand he paid the debt I could never pay. I know all that, but no one's ever done anything as bad as this. You know, you can look at it rationally and say, well, have you ever uh, carted off a, a whole town full of uh, women and children and burned it down and stolen their stuff? Probably that's worse than the Grinch, you know. Uh, you probably haven't done that. But, you know, the emotions swirl around inside your heart. And you say, no one's ever done anything as bad as that before. Well, guess what? God has made a promise. You know what it is? If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins. And He will cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise, ladies and gentlemen. His words don't fall to the ground. You know, people... Uh, live through the unraveling of their lives and um, sometimes feel um, like they've been forgotten. You ever feel like, uh, you know, Lord, you still remember me? I mean, am I, am I, have you, you completely spun me out there like a top and abandoned me? Listen to this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Listen to the King James Version of that. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. An end expected by whom? <laughs> Him. Is that a promise? Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it feels like we've been forgotten. But God's words do not fall to the ground. When he makes a promise, it is backed by his own person. You know, um, something comes into our life that's full of trouble, but there's still strength to be had. Ye thought evil against me, but God met it unto good. How about this? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Is that a promise? It is. His words don't fall to the ground. And what allows us to be strengthened by that, friends, is the fact that God, the unchanging God, the perfect God, the forgiving God, the faithful God, the holy God, the all-powerful God, the all-seeing God, the all-knowing God, the saving God. He's the one who makes those promises. And when God makes a promise, it's backed by His very perfect character. We can rely on that. 
His words do not fall to the ground. You know, um, if I go to the hospital, rarely do I take a Bible with me. If you're in the hospital, I probably won't have my Bible with me. It's not that I've got so much memorized. Uh, it's that, uh, you know, I don't, think you need a, I don't think you need a Bible study. You know? When you're lying in the hospital and it smells funny and the TV shows have your brain turning into mush uh, and you're, you're, there's beeping and, and nurses and, it, you know, it's just, it's awful. And uh, I rare, unless, unless somebody's at, at death's door and wants me to read the 23rd Psalm, I'm not going to bring a Bible. I'd rather just go in there and hold their hand. Well, sometimes when people are in those situations or facing those kinds of things, you know what I've prayed for more than once? I'll pray with that person, and I'll pray with them. I'll say, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would protect so-and-so uh, and their family from the stupid things people will try and say to them. Because well-meaning people will say, oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, I had a, my big toe hurt, and I know uh, what pain feels like, you know, and you want to go, really, come here, <laughs> you know, uh, when people slap you on the back, well, just cheer up, well, what does that mean? Nothing. Or people take biblical truths and they, you know, just you know, cut them out with the pinking shears and throw them at you. Here! Prescott! Uh, very easy to deliver trite uh, things. But folks, uh, when, when everything's stripped away, you know, when, when, uh, when all these things are pulled down and uh, you're left in this raw state where you've got nothing of your own strength and uh, you cried so long that uh, you don't have any more strength to cry. And it seems to be one thing after another, one succession after another, after another, after another. Uh, you've got nowhere to go. Guess where you got to go? Your God. Your personal God. And guess what you end up praying for? In hallways of hospital rooms, you know what you pray for? You've got nothing else to pray. Lord, you are beautiful in the splendor of your holiness. Lord, you are a good and gracious and merciful God. Lord, you have suffered long for me and with me. You have provided a Savior for me. You have named me. That's what you pray for when you're at wit's end. You know, you don't ask him for stuff. When all you've got is him, you just pray him. I'll tell you, Bob's not, oh, there's Bob. You know, I asked Bob Wood to pray on a Sunday morning one time. And I've never seen him freeze. And he got up there. You know, Bob Wood's the man who taught me to pray. And uh, I asked Bob to open a service one time. And, and Bob got up there, well, thank you, Jim, you know, and uh, I think he told a very funny anecdote. Uh, no, he didn't, but uh, he, 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 he went to pray, and he, he started praying, and he, he prayed for a little while, and then there was this pause, and I could tell he drew a blank. You know, his mind just kind of, for a second, he drew a blank, and uh, stand in front of 700 people, and guess what he did? We praise you for your holiness. 
we praise you for your mercy. You know, I mean, when a guy doesn't know where to go, guess where he goes? I tell you that that's a life lesson. When we don't know where to go, when everything's been pulled away, when we've been chopped and chopped and chopped, and all of our all of our resources and strength are pulled out from underneath us, guess where we have to go? The person of the living God. Uh, friends, uh, grow up with me, because I need to grow up. Uh, grow up with me, and uh, let's. By God's Holy Spirit, um, develop the the response when in trial to go to Him, the person of the living God. Because what He promises is backed by His character, and God's words do not fall to the ground. Let's pray. Father, um, your word tells us that your word is living and active and, and sharp and it cuts and pierces and, and divides and, and quickens. And uh, I feel it, Lord. I, I know how easy it is for me to begin to concoct and begin to reason my way through trials and uh, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace and that you would that you would grow us up and give us a maturity to understand our first course of action, that if there is any strength to be had, if there is any peace for our souls, if there is any balm for the dryness of our lips, it is found in your person. And I pray for these people, Lord, and, and for me, that uh, when we find ourselves uh, with our lips um, pressed to the wetness of what we think is finally rock bottom. Our prayer is, Lord, that uh, you would cause us to quickly turn to thee, quickly turn up, quickly uh, delve into the majesty and strength and comfort of your character. Because we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Enjoyed it. See you next week for the uh, congregational meeting. Thanks for coming on Wednesdays, you guys.